and welcome to the Digital Digest, your weekly podcast from Capacity Media on all things digital infrastructure. I'm your host, editor Melanie Mingus, and joining me this week, we have editor-at-large Alan Beckett-Gray and reporter Saf Malik. Unfortunately, Natalie is on leave this week. However, later in this episode, we will be joined by Stephanie Lynch-Habib, Chief Marketing Officer of the GSMA. And Steph's going to be talking about Mobile World Congress Los Angeles, which took place at the end of October, as well as COP26 and the association's research around sustainability in mobile. Um, But before that, it's time for the news. This week, we have heard that BT and OneWeb have agreed a new distribution partner agreement with OneWeb to provide Leo satellite communications across the BT group. Ericsson has recruited one of the world's top mobile telecoms academics, Nisha Dola, as its new chief architect to work on 6G. Telstra is to enhance the Telstra Octagon financial services solution through a collaboration with data center giant Equinix, while Zeo is to expand its network infrastructure in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, two locations in Arizona and Denver. While at GTT Communications, um, the company has formally started its restructuring by filing for bankruptcy protection under Chapter 11 of the US law. And taking a lead from COP26, which is taking place in Glasgow as we record this episode, the ICT industry has been committing to net zero emissions and more sustainable supply chains. So on that front, we have heard this week that NTT has set targets of 2030 and 2040 for its operations and supply chains to be net zero. Vodafone Foundation has launched an international search for climate change research partners to help expand the focus of its DreamLab smartphone app. And BT, Alisa, Telefonica and Verizon have been named as the only four telcos from around the world to have signed Amazon's climate pledge. While on the research front, CSPs believe that AI and software is key to reducing network energy demand and emissions, according to research from Nokia and GSMA Intelligence. And smart technology could contribute 40% of the required carbon emission savings for the world's net zero goals, according to further research from GSMA Intelligence. Um, And sustainability, as mentioned, is one of the topics we're going to cover later in our interview with Stefan Chabib. Um, So stay tuned for that. But on to this week's bigger stories and over to Saf for a football gaming surprise that wasn't entirely a surprise. Um, Saf, over to you. Netflix has entered the smartphone gaming space with the launch of five free games on Android devices. Um, Subscribers will need to access the games using a Netflix subscription and the company promises no ads, additional fees or in-app purchases, uh, which is quite a surprise these days considering all the ads on apps like YouTube. Um, While the games have initially rolled out on Android smartphones, the company said it hoped to roll out games on Apple devices in the coming months. The streaming giant said that it would initially roll out five games to its subscribers via its app, with two of those based on its popular Netflix original series, Stranger Things. But it remains to be seen how this will impact network capacity since last year Netflix and YouTube agreed to downgrade their video streaming quality. This was done in order to ease pressures on European network capacity amid increasing usage due to the COVID-19 pandemic. I spoke to PP Foresight analyst Paolo Pescatore, and he said the company will have to deal with huge spikes in network usage, meaning Netflix will have to work closely with all providers to avoid latency issues. Um, I've also spoken to a few more industry insiders, including Vijay Karthigesu, CEO of Swarmio, who said that this move should encourage telcos to do all they to do all they can to get involved in the gaming industry. As we know, the global mobile gaming market is one of the biggest in the world. It's set to reach $153.5 billion by 2027, and it's by far bigger than sports and music markets combined. 
Um, he added that 5G unlocks so many opportunities for telcos to forge relationships with these gaming publishers. Um, and of course, more details on my chat with Karthigesu and other industry insiders can be found in the next issue of Capacity Magazine. Fantastic. Um, well, we will not um, preview too much of what's happening in the next magazine, um, but this was a super interesting story because it's more about the impact and the actual diversification of the Netflix business model. Um, now, Netflix, and Alan, this massively predates my time reporting on the ICT industry, maybe the best place to talk about this but they sparked such a debate um when the otts first kind of came in and started putting all this pressure on networks um and the capacity increases and everything that did to the actual infrastructure builders and providers um now obviously you've been following up the angles here in terms of the network capacity and also the data center impact here as well because don't forget this this data is going to have to be somewhere to facilitate that low latency um so my question to you Seth, is what do we think that wider impact is going to be uh, the wider impact is definitely going to be um, more telcos getting involved in the gaming industry. Um, that's obviously what the feature is going to be about in the next issue of Capacity Magazine. And uh, it was an interesting point that Carthy Gessu made when he said that this is just going to kind of um, encourage more telcos to kind of di diversify their products too, because um, he says that whenever there's a problem with Netflix, audiences kind of go to their network providers and ask them why it's not working, <clears throat> which is uh, which is very interesting. Um, so 100% telcos are going to be more encouraged to to get involved in, in an industry that's so big and so massive, um, and then they're going to try and monetize it um, as much as possible. Yeah, it is all about those revenue opportunities, certainly. Um, but yeah, Alan, do you have anything to say on this one? Well, I, I was just wondering that what recompense the operators are going to expect from Netflix. I mean, they've had this sort of grudging regard for the content providers for many years, saying, look, they're, they're providing content over our networks. We're, they're not paying us for access to our networks and our customers, etc. But of course, that's why we pay our money to Vodafone and O2 and Deutsche Telekom and Orange and all the other guys around the world because we want access to the content, not because we just want a signal to come into our phone. Um, uh, but if Netflix is going to put more and more demands on the latency and the throughput of the networks, are they is is O2 and Voda and all the other people are going to say, look, you know, we need to make some changes to the networks. We need to improve them, upgrade them, put more towers in, better latency into the towers in the backhaul. Uh, Netflix, we want a contribution. Otherwise, we're, you know, your customers are going to get a bad experience. I don't know. I mean, this sounds like there's grounds for some negotiation between the two. Definitely. And I feel as though there should be. I mean, I know that we're all very like pro ICT and then, you know, we turn off from our jobs at the end of the day and turn on Netflix. But um, yeah, it's just, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because like Netflix originally started, if we just look at data centers, for example, so they originally started with their own data center infrastructure. Then a couple of years ago, they switched to AWS. And AWS has got its own claws into the telecoms industry in different ways. So, you know, you can just imagine them going out on a Christmas party together and plotting how they're going to undermine telecoms. Um, but <laughs> I just think there's more to this. Um, is Netflix going to go back to owning its own infrastructure? Are we going to see them doing massive projects like Google and Facebook do? I mean, Google and Facebook don't 
I mean, they do put huge demands on the network and they all have like huge cloud operations and data center stuff, but yeah, where's, where's this? I don't know. I, I, I wonder, because I mean, if Natalie were not on holiday, uh, we'd be able to ask her if, if Netflix is actually involved in any subsea cable projects, because I would have thought, especially with their live stuff that they're starting to do, sports and so on, there would be some call for moving data, you know, moving content live around the world. So I don't think they're doing that yet, but uh, it would be interesting to see what their what their role is. And yeah, maybe they're big enough to run, as you say, their own, just like Amazon. And we're going to come to Amazon in a few minutes, just like Amazon started off just selling books by post and Netflix started selling off DVDs by post. Uh, putting them in the mail and sending them back. Um, but they obviously had right back in the early days had a longer vision. I wonder whether they have a longer vision of they should be a cloud provider as well. Yeah, maybe the telco should speak to the postal services and be like, oh, guys, you're okay. How did you get over that? Yeah. <laughs> on your services and then, you know, providers just switch to something else. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, um, yes, Alan, staying with Amazon, what's happening in the world of satellites this week? Well, well, this is a great delivery from Amazon. The doorbell has gone and here is somebody from Amazon saying, oh, Project Kuiper is going ahead. It's always been a bit in, I was going to say in the cloud, but that's a really horrible pun. It's always been a bit in the shadow, actually, until now. It's been a project that they've talked about. There's stuff on their website. That's about Amazon.com if you want to want to find it um say what project kuiper is it's a low orbit satellite they've got licenses from the fcc for 3236 satellites of which they have to get half into service by july 2026 and the rest by july 2029 so it's five years away still four and a half years away before before they got 50 percent of their service but they uh, the, we knew something was coming which because uh, a week ago they said, uh, or Verizon said it would. It had signed up with Project Kuiper from Amazon to deliver global services in the United States, but also potentially enterprise services in the rest of the world. And then this week, Amazon has actually given dates for its first two launches, uh, which will be the end of 2022. So we're still getting on for a year away. Uh, but two prototype satellites called Kuipersat-1 and Kuipersat-2, isn't that novel? Um, and really it's to do in-orbit testing uh, to see what the what the service will provide, what tweaks need to be made before the proper full-scale launch starts in a few years' time. But, you know, this is a big step because it means that Project Kuiper, that, by the way, is named after an astronomer, who uh, a planetary scientist, Gerard Kuiper, who died in 1973, but he was the guy that invented or discovered the Kuiper belt, which is white outside the solar system, just as a, just as an aside. That's why it's called Kuiper. Um, but he was, um, but the Project Kuiper is going to be, I guess, the third of the big LEO low Earth orbit networks uh, after SpaceX's um, project uh, Starlink and after OneWeb, which is OneWeb is smaller. Um, they're sort of halfway there to their target of several hundred. 
one uh, SpaceX's Starlink network is actually tens of thousands, ultimately. Uh, Amazon's Project Hypo is somewhere in between. But then there are a few others that are lurking around the industry. Telesat from Canada is talking about one, and there are others as well. So I think we're, we're probably going to see a lot of satellites in orbit, uh, in low orbit, and I mean something from 500 kilometres up to 1,000 kilometres above the Earth, really irritating astronomers because these will all reflect sunlight, just like you can see the International Space Station going over a really bright object hundreds of kilometres above the Earth. You'll be able to see all these satellites going ahead across all the time, and astronomers will not like that at all. Um, but so it's going to be the third of the big LEO projects, and we now have a date, and I guess it's going to be three or four years away before it's any service, and much longer away, you know, 10 years away, eight years away before there's a full commercial service. Um, but it's uh, a big step for Amazon. Um, and there are other things as well that are going on over the next few years. Lots of other people that are talking about connecting their satellite ground stations with data centers because as we were just saying with uh netflix they're data-based these are database industries they need their ground stations uh so they need to be close to as possible to ground stations so they can get um, as low latency as possible and, and maximum reliability so we're going to see data centers uh with coming with a big satellite dish <laughs> that is fascinating. Um, yeah, well, I mean, I'm not worried too worried about astronomy. I mean, I am, but to make a joke about it, you can now just take a Blue Origin rocket to the edge of space and look at the stars that way. Jeff has us covered. Don't worry. Uh, well, and there are actually astro uh, astronomical observatories, you know, up in space, way above all these satellites anyway, and they do much the best research. So it's the amateur astronomers, the people with their you know, 10-inch telescopes in their backyard on a clear night looking up at things, and they're the ones who are going to be dazzled, literally, by these satellites. So, yeah, but I think the benefits for the world, the population as a whole, getting access to the internet in places that are miles and miles and miles from the nearest base station or the nearest bit of fibre will be just huge, and I think that's going to happen fairly shortly. Mm, that is um, that is quite a fascinating point. Um, but it's not happening as soon as with other SACOs. Um, and Amazon does like to be an early mover, but they've done space tourism before the, this project. And it just kind of amazes me that, you know, we hear so much from OneWeb. Um, and, you know, this, today, for example, on the 4th of November, as we record this, we're hearing reports that Boeing is stepping into satellite communications as well. Um, it's such a fast paced sector and there are so many players and obviously SpaceX has made huge gains across everything, but Amazon's project is just kind of like, yep, we're, we're gonna come in 2022. That's yeah. it. We'll just yeah. be the market, maybe four. But uh, as you, as we were saying, AWS, uh, is becoming an integral part of the telecoms industry. So if AWS, as its sister company's Project Kuiper, it offers satellite access to customers around the world, I think you, know, you can see this sort of blending of interests at different parts of the industry. So there's the infrastructure, there's the satellites, and there's the data centers. 
and the provision of cloud software to telcos as well. So cloud telcos will operate as part of the Amazon network. So what will what will cloud companies be um, or what will telcos be if not just a, a, a brand for delivering cloud services? Yeah, I think we just solved the Netflix gaming problem. <laughs> we did. Yep. We just have... should hire us. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, well, thanks so much for the stories, guys. Next up in today's episode, we are talking to the Chief Marketing Officer of the GSMA, Stephanie Lynch Habib. Steph, welcome to the Digital Digest, and thanks so much for joining us this week. Hi. Good morning, Melanie. Thank you so much for having me. Well, we are delighted um, to welcome you to this episode of the Digital Digest. Um, and I believe that you're dining in from Paris today, which is very exciting because you've been traveling all over the world in the last couple of weeks. And we will come to that soon. Um, we're going to cover a couple of topics over this interview. And sustainability is, of course, one of them. Um, but Steph, back to your globetrotting. You're actually fresh off a flight from Los Angeles um, because October 26th, 28th was Mobile World Congress Los Angeles. And you were able to return to live in-person events. Um, so tell us, how was it and what were the highlights for you at NWCLA 2021? Of course, um, extraordinary to be back in Los Angeles. Um, we like to say back to business, back to Los Angeles, back together. But of course, that was um, the third MWC that we were able to conduct physically in 2021. So really proud of after a, a challenging time for the entire world and of course the events industry to bring that full cycle of MWCs back, back together, including February in Shanghai, June in Barcelona, and of course, last week in Los Angeles. So um, I'd say a few things, and I probably, I, you can stop me. I probably could do the entire podcast on, on, on what it took to bring them all back together. But suffice to say, uh, we like to say it took a superhuman effort to make people believe and to conduct uh, physical events uh, again. Um, and that takes a lot of partnership. Um, it's not just the GSMA, it's not just MWC. It doesn't ha happen without government partnerships, with private partnerships and alongside us. Um, in a normal year, we would boast, you know, uh, hundreds of thousands of, of attendees, a couple of hundred thousands of, of attendees across the event. This year, we boast that we were able to do it in a health, healthy and a safe manner. Um, operating with operational excellence and not compromising on safety and also understanding that um, people make choices and companies make choices about, about at which point they're ready to come back and convene again in person. So we think it's impressive that we've had uh, in Los Angeles just over 4,100 people. And just to tie that back to the other cycle, we had 17,000 in Shanghai in February and just under 21,000 in Barcelona in June. So again, less than we've had in the past, but very proud of that anyway. We also enabled virtual presence around the world across those series of events. Um, so we were able to, we had a fully immersive uh, event in, 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 in Barcelona in June, and we had all of our keynotes broadcasted around the world in, 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 um, in both Los Angeles last week and, and, and Shanghai. In Los Angeles, your question in particular, we had over 200 companies and thought leaders, uh, a wide range of industries from mobile and robotics to cloud and sports. Um, some of the companies uh, 
uh, that attendees had the opportunity to meet include Verizon, T-Mobile, IBM, Cisco, Dell, AWS, Microsoft, Red Hat, uh, Core Wireless. I can go on, on and on, of course. Um, and then really, it's all about um, getting back to talking about how innovation can propel the industry forward. That's really what MWCs are about. And I would say that being on the ground um, and, and running into former colleagues, and this will go back two or three companies that I, that I worked in, it's, just, it, it, it's great to see, even in a reduced setting, people excited to be back, excited to recognize that an MWC is a place to do business, not just to make a place to network, but doing business and that we can um, continue to create that atmosphere and that, um, and, and that place for creating positive impact in the industry. Um, and we're of course grateful um, for the city of Los Angeles, for Mayor Garcetti who opened up the keynote on day one, day one and, um, and, and, and the LA uh, Convention Center for hosting us again. Fantastic. Well, I'm sure they were very happy to welcome you um, with those kinds of visitor numbers. Um, and just on the topic of pushing innovation, um, the Congress featured the Everything Policy Track with the CTIA, um, and that put U.S. policymakers together with the wireless industry stakeholders. Um, so what happened in their discussions and what kind of issues were they highlighting? Because these are the kind of things that really do drive innovation and kind of set those foundations for future progress. Yeah, of course. Um, so the CTIA Everything Policy Track had keynotes from the FCC and the NTIA, as well as sessions on policies that encourage innovation and investment for 5G and beyond, and that continue to expand coverage to the underserved and bring about the benefits of mobile for everyone. Um, our chief regulatory officer, John Giusti, was on one of the panels about the intersection of the US and international telecom policies and agendas. And he, um, he, he works very hard to advocate regulatory policy advocacy in our industry globally. And he highlighted the importance of global spectrum harmonization and GSA's work at both the ITU and WRC, which are uh, hugely important to driving um, both policy and advocacy uh, and, and, and the role that Spectrum plays. Fantastic. Um, okay, well, let's talk trends next, because during the event, GSMA Intelligence launched the Mobile Economy North America 21 report. And in that report, you covered Open RAN, um, Telco Cloud Partnerships and Enterprise IoT, um, which are all you know, relevant topics um, that we cover quite frequently here at Capacity. Um, but on the topic of IoT, the report found that the urgency to deploy projects is stronger in the US than in other countries. Um, why do you believe that is and what kind of advances did that report draw on? Yes, um, I, uh, the innovation we've seen over the past couple of years and will continue to see in North America is remarkable. Um, we demonstrated that our industry relentlessly pushes the boundaries of possibility and that we are moving into the era of intelligent connectivity. And of course, innovation in mobile is advancing at new speeds thanks to resilient networks that have been built and upgraded by mobile operators. And North America, as the um, North American Mobile Economy Report uh, uh, pulls out, is a global leader in 5G network deployment, in applications development and commercialization. So operators continue to collaborate with other 5G stakeholders, including enterprises, equipment vendors, universities, and municipal councils to develop 5G applications across 
many sectors of the economy. Um, and our industry understands the business of investing into the future. Uh, the report also, um, also notes that North America will invest 300 billion in, in their networks between 2020 and 2025, and 98% of that will be dedicated to 5G. Um, again, um, North America is a, a leader in 5G investments. And just to, um, to give you a sense of what that means globally, if you look at our global mobile economy report, um, we said in uh, earlier this year that the, the globe will invest, I think it's just under a trillion, 900 billion over the next five years. So you can see that North America is a big portion of that investment. And naturally, uh, as 5G commercializes and that innovation is introduced into the mobile network or continues to advance in the mobile network like open brand and edge networking and network automation, we, we see um, what the telco of the future can look like. And we see sort of the North stars of, of mobile operators naturally sitting in North America with their, with their, um, with their aggressive push in investment in, into 5G. So uh, a couple of points to note there, uh, the North American mobile economy report that I referenced a couple of times finds that North American operators are four times more likely to see revenue-focused activities as their primary network transformation strategy goal than their European counterparts. And in the US, uh, the 5G networks of AT&T, T-Mobile, US and Verizon, each cover more than 230 million people. And the new mobile entrant DISH has formed a strategic collaboration with AWS to build a cloud-based 5G open brand. And uh, I guess it's, um, you probably um, know some of this already, but that's not the only operator that has started to make public announcements about, um, uh, about partnerships in the cloud. Both, both Verizon and AT&T have done that a few months ago. So I think that sort of underpins the, the modern transformative telco that really is kind of a, a beacon in the US and North America. Very much, yeah, I think we would um, agree with that. Um, well, another highlight report and this brings us on to our next topic for today is sustainability. Um, now the UN's Race to Zero campaign declared that the mobile industry made a critical breakthrough um, earlier this year when more than a third of operators by revenue had committed to achieving net zero emissions by 2050 or earlier. Um, now that's hugely important it's a very very strong start and huge congratulations to those 30% that have made those commitments. Um, but let's talk about the other two thirds. I mean is there a conclusion on what they need to be doing because according to GSMA's own research and we'll unpack that in a moment. Um, smart mobile tech is an enabler for the reduction of emissions in other industries, which in my mind really just accelerates the urgency here for that other 60% to make a commitment. Um, but yeah, I know that's some it's very big topics. So I'm just going to kind of leave it there and open up the conversation to you. Yeah, no, I mean, you 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 point out a, a very, very good question. So perhaps it's best to, to first walk it back to 2019 where the board of the GSMA set an ambition for the mobile sector to reach net zero by 2050 at the latest. And, and, and that you do point out that um, a, third, um, a third of uh, operators by revenue are uh, committed to net zero by 2050. What I think it's important to say is to take it a step back that where we're starting from is that 80% of mobile network operators are now disclosing their climate impacts. Um, 
so they know where they're heading. And of course, we need to um, we, we need to then further um, have the industry and the adjacent industries that are driven by mobile technology committed to net zero. But you, you can see that uh, 80% have already disclosed their climate impacts as part of the um, the the first um, the first efforts of uh, of, of, of investments of climate. And yes, you're correct that one third have, um, have, have been further um, committed to net zero by 2050 or earlier. Um, and then and, and it means the other two thirds are committed to rapidly cutting emissions that we want to keep on uh, pushing towards net zero. So I just thought that was important to, um, to, to, um, to note that it's, it's not that the other two thirds are not, not doing anything. It's that they're they are um, they are absolutely um, working with us to disclose, and that we've got obviously further work to do, just like the entire world does, right? If, if we said it was all um, fine, we wouldn't have such an urgency right now. Um, what else can I say about uh, does that does that help you put the context into the one? I, I would say one more thing. I would say that um, we find that. Um, getting the first 20% of participants or players in a market is enough to enact that change. And that getting to the, that 20% made the mobile industry um, named the first breakthrough sector uh, by, by the end. So we're, we're encouraged by that as a, as a, as a catalyst for, for the, this week's activities and the, the years to come. That's great. Fantastic news. Well, sticking with sustainability, um, COP26 um, is going on in Glasgow now, and obviously GSMA is involved. Um, you published a report on 1st of November and also held a meeting on it in Glasgow on the 3rd of November. Um, it's fantastic research. I'll uncover the story. I'm going to hand over to the team very soon, um, and I highly suggest that everybody reads it. Um, but this really highlights a shift in the sales pitch for telcos, because um, one of the headlines from this data is that mobile connectivity and smart technology are significantly underused by energy-intensive industries. Um, so this kind of draws on the earlier trends we've just been talking about. Um, and those industries, for example, are power and manufacturing. Um, now you're CMO, and we've kind of talked about the increasing prominence of IoT. So from your like marketing expertise, how can telcos and marketing teams make this more enticing for those major enterprise customers and drive home the importance of IoT as a tool to reduce environmental impact? I think that's an excellent question. Um, uh, and, and you're asking a, a CMO, but also um, an ex-sales uh, leader for IoT. Um, so I, I can I, I found it fascinating that you 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 put this on the table. So um, I think this is a demonstration of a few things um, of how how we can, as the industry, um, make other industries understand the use cases for IoT and smart technology. Because as you point out, Melanie, um, the, the, the press release that, um, that, that was um, given this week shows that just adopting smart technology can help push, push industries carbon emissions forward um, you know, significantly. And, and you called that manufacturing and transfer and, and, and buildings is another example. Um, what do I think as a as a as a CMO we need to do? I I, I truly believe in um, you know uh, doing doing good for for the world, right? And 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 doing good for 
climate, for advocacy, for, you know, for enabling a better future is more than just um, corporate sustainability. I believe that, and I think most would say that, that that's doing good business these days as well. And that more and more um, investors and capital markets are putting much more emphasis on, um, on, on those who adopt um, uh, good business practice for the environment and for the world. And then taking the back, back that to I, IOT, um, you know, IOT, I think during the pandemic also in our North American economy report was stalled because of economic uncertainty, but has tremendous, uh, especially with 5G, use case um, applicability as, as we go forward, right? So IOT is very logical for um, making processes um, more efficient, for making companies find new revenue streams. And if you can, if you can find sales teams that can make the connection between um, commitment to climate, uh, the net uh, offset of carbon emissions, and the business benefits of IoT, I mean, for me, that's a no-brainer. I don't think that's very easy, probably, to do where we sit because you know, the, you know, I think most businesses sit in in siloed business environments. But I believe that the leaders um, in industry, in both industry and mobile who put those connections together and who can do kind of sales enablement through markets. It's more than just brochures and marketing, but it's really about understanding business problems and finding smart, smart solutions, right? Smart salespeople will do that. And for me, it's a, it's a no brainer personally, but uh, certainly work to be done, right? To tie those functions together. That is very true. Um, excellent answer. Thank you so much for that insight. Um, I'm going to hand over to Alan and Saf now um, because they've got a lot of expertise um, in the world of mobile and IoT and other things. Um, guys, do you have any questions for Stephanie? Yeah, let me jump in. Uh, Steph, hello. Good to see you again. Good to meet you again. Um, well, you're, you came into the GSMA, what, in September 2019. So you had four months of normality before the pandemic hit and uh, you had the huge task of cancelling the Barcelona event in February 2020, which must have been really traumatic, but was inevitable. Are we going to see a day? I mean, I went to all the Barcelona events, uh, not this year, but from the day it moved from Cannes um, in the south of France, and I still miss the beach. Uh, but mm -hmm. are we going to see a day when we have these huge events again? You used to get, what, 105, 110,000 in Barcelona for Mobile World Congress. Uh, you had Shanghai was sort of getting there. Uh, I don't know about the US. Uh, is that just something from the distant past that we're not going to revisit for such a long time now? I think it's a, an excellent question, Alan. And I think it's so impressive that you've definitely been to more MWCs than I have. And I, <laughs> yes. I was doing that before before I joined the GSMA as, as like, you know, as the IoT sales leader with AT&T. But um, I don't, I, it, it suffice to say that um, just like the pandemic is not going away overnight, um, getting back to that full steam is 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 probably not in the near future, right? We don't. I would be I would be fascinated if we got back to the levels of 2019 in in, in 2021. So no, we don't expect in in certainly next year um, to 
to come to those numbers that you just cited. You're absolutely correct. 105,000, in Barcelona. I think it was 75,000 in Shanghai really grew fast. Um, we see it coming back um, stronger than, than 2021. We see the desire to convene. We see, I mean, anecdotally on the, you know, on the floor in Los Angeles, I found probably 10 people come up to me sporadically and saying, I'm surprised that there are as many people here as, um, as there are. And you can see that it, it's a, a, re a reduced uh, rate in Los Angeles, about the same reduction across the shows, right? What we had in uh, 19 to what we had in 21. I, 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 I strongly feel that people see the value of the human connection as um, something that can't be replaced in, in, in full um, by what we're doing right now. Uh, I always believed that before we got to Barcelona and you can see it in, in you can see the, um, the enthusiasm, the excitement and the, and, and the power of that human connection uh, in the right, um, in the right ecosystem of people that can do business. So all that to say, you know, we're, we're hoping, I mean, I, I, I really, we don't have a crystal ball for, for, for 2022, but we, we're, we're hoping for, let's say 50 or 55,000 in, in Barcelona in, in February, if that gives you a, a decent idea, I can't, I certainly couldn't put my, um, um, my job on the line for it, but that's <laughs> where, where, where we're, um, where we're thinking. Okay. So we're going back to what, five or six years ago when, yeah. Uh, when Barcelona was, I can't remember when Barcelona hit that number, but it was, yeah, a few years back. So Hopefully, was, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. Mm, good. And you're going back to Shanghai and Los Angeles again yes. in 22? Uh, the, plan, the plan is to stick to the three cycle events yeah. um, uh, for 22 and then back on the schedule of Barcelona in, in February. It's the 28th of February to the 3rd of March and then the end of June for um, the, the dates are not in front of me for Shanghai, but it's it's towards the end of June as well. Good. Great. Well, I hope to see you at one of those. But yeah, we had our own Capacity Europe. A few I know. Weeks ago, and it, and it was so good to be to see people again, you know, just on a call before now with somebody that I bumped into there unexpectedly. And we've just done a follow up for a new story, potentially a feature. And it's those sort of unexpected meetings that you have at events that are so productive. It's, you know, not organizing something by Zoom because you know something you want to talk to somebody. It's the the serendipity of a meeting, of a bumping into somebody at a at an event that is so productive, I think. I think I think um you are Alan, you are in a wonderful place to 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 write about that because you know what we you know as you said it was a tough time for us and um, over the last eighteen months and we had to show why we were coming back and the importance of coming back and uh, Laura will also tell you because she started um, on the twenty seventh of January which is really like our kind of like oh my goodness day what's happening in twenty twenty um, and she's battled through the you know the, the communications process with me on this. But, you know, uh, there were there are always, you know, in a in in people that are going to give you a spectrum of opinion about what you're doing right and what you're doing wrong. And we've had yeah. everything from, you know, you, you know, you're not doing this uh, safely to, you know, you're not sustainable. And I um, important to say, I think, number one, that all, uh, you know, MWC Barcelona is been recognizing, you know, this you've seen this, you see it in the in the front of FIRA where. Um, we're a, a carbon neutral event. So, you know, we do the offsetting of the travel because that's some of the 
sort of rhetoric that you get, like, you know, companies that have suddenly become very sustainable are, you know, declaring that taking a flight. And of course, we need to be mindful of emissions, but we are at the GSMA as uh, as climate advocates, right? Thinking about this even for MWC, and we've been doing that for like six or seven years. Uh, but I also love how you, 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 um, you know, your experience with not doing Zoom and being able to meet face-to-face -face resonates because we believe it does. Yep, yeah, good. Right, but I'm not sure that we'll all go to quite so many, do quite so many flights, I think. No, certainly not. And nor would we ever, um, yeah. you know, for, probably for, for many reasons, would we ever um, want, want to. Um, I think, you know, inevitably our, 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 our lives have changed, you know, forever and our, our routines have changed forever. And that's a good thing, too. Yep. Good. Thanks, Steph. Thank you. Uh, sorry. Hi, Steph. Um, my name is Saf. Um, I've been in the industry for about two years and MWC 2020 was meant to be um, my first MWC. So unlike Alan, I hadn't I hadn't been to too many. Um, my only question is um, what has been the kind of the response from your long term partners and these companies that have been going to MWC for for years and years, like the the, the Samsung, Sony's, LG's. What has been their response to to future events um, and Will you have to do more virtual events in the in the in the future? I it's a great question, Saf. I think that the the global response of our our large um, supporters, exhibitors, sometimes you know, lots of times are our members as well, has been positive. You know, it may you know some of them consciously decided that twenty one wasn't the year for them to come back physically. Most most supported us in, in other ways, virtually, sponsorship-wise, partnership-wise, et cetera, et cetera. And we see a lot of those large um, supporters, you know, signs coming back for 22. Um, in terms, I think we'll always have to do uh, hybrid events you know, going forward, some form. I think it's actually, it's suffice to say, we were, we didn't just create hybrid events in, in, in 2020. We had been doing broadcasting of MWC through Mobile World Live for six or seven years, I want to say, beforehand. So we're used to doing it. Of course, we had to kind of take it up many notches in 2020. And we're at present, for example, doing our um, the, the smaller regional events that we do between MWC. They're called the M360s. Um, we turn them into purely virtual in 2020. We're doing those uh, in a mix of virtual and, and physical. So we had one physical Eurasia in Moscow in September. Uh, we're then doing um, MWC Africa as kind of like the road to MWC Africa for next year, but we're doing all that virtually in chunks monthly going through 2022. So you're right, we'll, we'll have to keep hybrid events, but good, good support from our, our larger, largest exhibitors. Fantastic. Thanks so much, Stephanie. Um, well, that brings us to the um, end of the questions um, for today. But do you have any um, maybe closing comments or anything else that you'd like to say to our listeners before we wrap up the interview? Well, no other than I'm, I'm a big fan of capacity. I'm a big fan of um, uh, the journalistic in integrity and professionalism. Um, thank you very much for inviting me. Uh, it's so great to to speak to Alan again after so much time and nice to meet you, um, Melanie and Seth. Fantastic. We really, really enjoyed speaking with you as well. It's been great to hear all this insight and do keep us up to date on, on the, next, um, the next wave of research and events um, and news from GSMA. Thank you very, very much. Thanks, Steph. It's been great to talk to you. 
You too, Alan. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's episode. Thank you to the team for bringing us the latest on all those stories. Thanks also to everybody who listened and a huge thanks to Stephanie for joining us live today. We will be back next week with more stories from the global tech and telecom space, as well as another special guest. Um, but until then, we will not leave you without updates. You can catch up with all the latest on telecoms and data centers over at capacitymedia.com. You can sign up to our weekly news alerts, check out the latest magazine, and also listen to some old episodes of the Digital Digest. For now, that's all from me and the team. Take care, have a great week, and catch you next time. <laughs>